everybody. Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. It is Wednesday. It is November. We made it through October. The first two months of the season are behind us. November 1st. This is episode 218 of the All Sooners Podcast. Ryan Chapman joins us from Oklahoma City. I'm John Hoover. I'm somewhere in Tulsa. I'm not going to tell you where. I don't need you knocking on my door. <laughs> Close to Broken Arrow, we'll put it that way. Is that all right? Is that specific enough for you guys? Randall's going to join us in the third segment, talk about Bedlam, as well as the latest in the world of recruiting. But before we get to that, we need to, Ryan, we need to recap one more time the mm, five and a half hours of misery that was Oklahoma <laughs> at Kansas. That includes an hour of rain delay in the middle or lightning delay. Yeah, it was cold. We finally... I think about today, uh, Eddie and I both were thought out. Eddie obviously was much more in the line of fire alongside Randall, those guys both down on the field. Uh, finally got thought out, looking forward to some mid-70s, really nice weather forecast ahead uh, for Bedlam. But yeah, I mean, we, we got to talk to Brent Middles on Tuesday, boss, and there's still just one or two really head-scratching things that I think that even Oklahoma doesn't have answers for spinning out of that Kansas game. Yeah, um, I'll give you guys a, a quick recap. You all some, seem to really enjoy our misery when we do these things, so I'll give you all a quick recap. Uh, we uh, we were not – wait, we were the last ones out of the stadium, were we not? Uh, yeah, it was us and the OU Daily crew that okay. were that's right. That's right. Yeah, as we were getting on the elevator, there were still a couple of guys left from the OU Daily. So, thankfully, we were not the last ones out. Um, we were, however, the last ones probably to our car because we took the long way around campus – 80% of it uphill because we had to get to the parking garage. It was hilarious. Uh, these guys, Randall and Ryan, were uh, lifting my giant wagon full of uh, All Sooners equipment, carrying it up steps because we took the wrong sidewalk. One sidewalk's just kind of a sidewalk. The other one's got like steps and more steps and more steps. I'm like, oh, my God. So they're the real MVPs. They're the hero of the operation for picking that thing up and carrying it. and. And nobody fell in the mud this time. That's well, always a good thing to report. Nobody fell in the mud, but for my troubles, we almost had an incident. Like, we got all the way to the parking garage. Lawrence, very hilly, all that yeah. stuff. So water's flowing. And as we're crossing the, <laughs> the last sidewalk over into the parking garage, I'm thinking we made it. No one splashed <laughs> us. That was a concern. Is anyone just like a couple of blind corners so a car that was going a little too fast might splash us? None of that. I almost skid in the middle of the road and fall. <laughs> I don't fall. I stay up. There's no extra splashing. It was a weird like wet spot though. And as we were all preparing to about to drive home, my first thought was, was that ice? And if it was ice, I want to be sure to warn everybody like, hey, I, we were not expecting this, but there's a little bit of ice. Be careful. I turn around. It was not ice. It was not mud. It was an unidentified plop of what I think was once at some point during the day a squirrel. <laughs> but due to the fact that it was like right where your tire rolls in the in the lane, it had been kind of beaten down in the bit. wet. I, I almost, guys, I literally almost slipped and fell into roadkill. So that we avoided that, but... I think that all Sooners would have never gone to Kansas again if in a three-year span we had uh, tussled with the hill in Manhattan and then I had literally fallen, banana peeled into roadkill. There was no need to disrobe 
in, and when we got to the car, thankfully, although we were all soaking wet, it rained on us the entire time. We had, seriously, it was a long hill, long, tall hill. And we went the long way around campus <laughs> and came back around. It was like, what did we do? We, we find ways to, uh, to reroute ourselves, even when we're not using GPS. It was fine. We were soaked when we got back to the car. Found a plastic bag, though. Kept the, the equipment dry. That was good. So, Clutch. You know, not a total loss. <laughs> uh, thanks to the good people at uh, KU for, uh, for hooking us up with the parking, the credentials, uh, the directions, the recommendations, all that good stuff. Every time I've ever gone to Kansas... It's been rough weather-wise, and there's always been something funky going on, but the good people of Kansas are the best. On so. top of it, on top of it, kept us warm during the weather delay, but uh, I think unfortunately for Oklahoma fans, they're not going to be too worried about that as Oklahoma's last trip to Kansas ended with a goalpost in Potter Lake, and now you're starting to see a trend. Uh, the last time Oklahoma played Tech, loss. Last time Oklahoma played Baylor, loss. Last time Oklahoma played Kansas, Loss last time Oklahoma perhaps will face off against Kansas State. That was a loss. They'll have to right the wrongs against West Virginia, TCU, and they'll obviously have a chance against Oklahoma State this weekend to make sure that Oklahoma closes the Bedlam series out with a win. But uh, the the eight left behind, a lot of them are getting their laughs at, at Oklahoma on their way out. Yeah, it's been uh, literally a generation since Oklahoma lost to Kansas, and it's been longer than that. It's been two generations. I was in high school, guys. I was in high school. Look how old I am, right? I was in high school the last time KU beat a top six team at home, top 10 team at home, something like that. And that was Oklahoma, Kansas beat Oklahoma 28 to 11. I remember that game very well because Danny Bradley got hurt. Troy Aikman got his first career start, and he was terrible. And it was not all on him, but yeah, KU was solid and, and Oklahoma was very good that year. Very good, almost national championship good. But you take away Danny Bradley, the option wizard that he was on that day, and they had no chance. So rough day 40 years ago and a rough day four days ago, four or five days ago now for the uh, Sooners. Uh, Ryan, so much went on in that game. And we're not going to sit here and like beat a dead horse. We know you guys have heard every podcast between Sunday and now, and there's a lot of great people making a lot of great points. So we're not going to try and uh, um, piggyback off of those guys. We're not going to try and steal their thunder. But I will say, great work, great point by Gabe Eichert, as always, when he broke down the passing game. First 75 plays of Oklahoma's offensive game the other day. Dylan Gabriel threw down the field 10 yards or more two times. Unconscionable. It's unforgivable. How do you do that? How do you go through almost an entire game until the last drive when you need to, you know, go down the field and score? How do you throw it downfield two times when you're Oklahoma and that's been your strength? Not running the football, which they did great, by the way, Saturday. Not throwing short stuff, which has been kind of a coin toss sometimes when they try that. It's either very good or very bad. But throwing the ball deep has been their strength. And you only did it two times. Brent Venable said yesterday, Ryan, and we can pull this apart a little bit, um, you and I think and agree, I think that Jeff Levy was way, way too conservative. Brent Venable said yesterday he wants to maintain an aggressive mindset. The opportunities were there. Yeah, I think that that is probably 
as close as you're going to get to Brent Venables saying there was an error in the offensive game plan. I think that he's not going to come out there and blast his own coordinator or anything like that, but I think that you pair that quote, Hoove, based with um, another line that he had. I don't, know, I don't remember if it was the same answer or another answer piggybacking off of that on Tuesday where he talked about, and oh, by the way, if you're able to throw the ball down the field, that helps to continue to open up the run game. Uh, Brent Venables maintained that you need to still have great balance. Oklahoma had no balance on Saturday. It was run, 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 run. And then when Tommy Walker left the game, uh, Javante Barnes had a chance to cut back in. I think it was the second down play maybe. And as Brent Venables said on his coach's show on Monday night, he'd still be running. Instead, uh, that was a hole opened up, by the way, between Jacob Sexton and Caden Green on the left side of Oklahoma's line. Instead of following, going in between the guard and the tackle, bounces outside, gets tackled by the linebacker. That's what you get when you have a guy that is getting carries that hadn't carried the ball since Tulsa. So so that's got to be something Oklahoma's got to figure out who – I mean, again, Jason Bean threw the ball 32 times. The the conditions were bad. They weren't so bad that it was like you're worried about a fumble every time a guy drops back. Dylan Gabriel's talked about, like, growing up in Hawaii, it rained like every Friday night. So the cold, not something he's used to. The rain – that shouldn't have been an issue. So, yeah, they got to figure that out. And I don't know who – maybe you have a, a thought on this of instead of Jalil Farouk in the running game, could you get him going as a deep option? People have been able to run behind Oklahoma State. We'll, we'll preview Oklahoma State in the second segment for sure, but people have been able to run behind him. Is that an answer? We saw Brennan Thompson pop up on that last drive, throw him out there a couple of times, see if he can't get going, or if not, just – there was that big almost 20-yard pass play to Nick Anderson, and you thought, okay, there's Nick Anderson. Can he get that thing going? The middle of the field's open, and, it, and nothing ever built off of it. So those have got to be the questions. Those have got to be the concerns. It sounds like on Sunday the staff got together, and there were for sure conversations about what are we doing here, who do we need to get the ball, all that stuff. Um, we'll, we'll see if that pans out and if, if Saturday becomes a learning experience. If so – you hate that it happened. You want it back, obviously. But if you learn from it, it's a lot easier pill to swallow than if we see a lot more conservative game calling on Saturday in Bedlam. Yeah, I'm, I'm not breaking any new ground here. But what it looked like to me real time as the game was unfolding was Dylan uh, was way off on his first throw, way off. And he was just enough off on his second throw that it was a pick six going the other direction. And at that point, Jeff Levy became very gun-shy because we all know Jeff and, and the staff reads uh, All Sooners copy and, and listens to the All Sooners podcast, or maybe they watch it on my YouTube channel. They understand that over the past uh, 20-something months, 22 months, that Dylan Gabriel has displayed, and not just that, but going back to his days at UCF, he has displayed that he's not real good in cold weather, in wet weather, in in, in uh, windy weather, West Virginia, and, and so on and so forth. So I think Jeff probably said, let's try these. Oh, my gosh, we're down 7 nothing." You know, uh, okay, well, I was afraid of that, right? I was afraid Dylan was going to struggle today because of the, the elements. So let's go to the run game. Let's only have Dylan go 14 of 19 passing instead of, you know, 26 of 30. Uh, they just didn't trust him anymore. That's something that, um, I don't know. I don't know if you're, you've got a Heisman Trophy candidate, you know, first few weeks of the season, first six weeks, seven weeks of the season, he was one of the most efficient and productive quarterbacks, pro- prolific quarterbacks in the country. 
and you run you run into a little adversity in Kansas, you know, a couple of bad throws, bad weather, pick six. You basically take the ball out of his hands. Your receivers, as we've noted every week, Ryan, your receivers are the best part of this offense. And you remember my comment like midway through the third quarter, you know, Drake Stoops hasn't really been much of a uh, impact in this game. No receiver was an impact in this game. Nobody had, I think Drake had was the leading receiver with two catches at the time. So uh, I just, that's really, really out of character. When you talk about an offensive identity, you know, what is Oklahoma's offensive identity? It's just seems totally out of character for Oklahoma to say, we're going to run it 55 times and only throw it 19. And, uh, and seven of those throws in the last drive. The Right. A lot of that came in the last drive. The RPO situation, um, I've said this for a long time, and I think I've said it poorly enough that uh, I'm going to defer to Teddy Lehman on this one from the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast. He said the RPO is ruining college football. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's basically making offensive linemen unsure of what they have to do, which resets their thinking, their uh, aggressive mentality, and kind of makes them soft. Uh, puts some doubt in the quarterback's mind of what he's looking at, what he's reading. Receivers sometimes don't know what to do. You see a lot more uh, blockers downfield, illegal blockers, illegal uh, men downfield because of an RPO misread or something like that. It's, I don't know. I don't like the identity of your team being an RPO team. If Kansas is giving you the throw and you're still not taking it, you're still only throwing it 19 times. Yeah, well, it, I, I think that when you look at it, Andrew Anthony was really, really good the first six games of the year. Was Andrew Anthony a receiver that totally destructs and, and, and implodes what your offense is? Like, was he that good? For me, those guys are your CeeDee Lambs, your, you know, D.D. Westbrook, Blitnikoff season. Mm-hmm. Guys like that are when you lose them, it totally handcuffs what your offense is. And this is not taking anything away from Andrew Anthony, but he was a total unknown starting this year. And it wasn't like he was racking up 150, 200-yard games every single week. He was really key on third downs. He was a great option to stretch the field. But go back to UCF. Oklahoma didn't stretch the field against UCF either. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it feels like Jalil Farouk's getting more work out of the backfield than he is uh, downfield. And Jalil Farouk, as a runner, it's not like Jalil Farouk is busting off 30-yard runs to to be the reason that you need to feed him that. I, I just think that the last two weeks it's been too cute, completely too cute. Uh, and, and the too cute plus the weather led to what you saw on Saturday. So there's no excuse this week. You, you've had the, the soul-searching week. Uh, you need to eliminate all the jet sweep crap because it's been bad. Yeah, whether it's Farouk or Freeman, you, you don't need to be running those guys out of the backfield. Gavin Sawchuk exists. Javante Barnes is apparently magically healthy after we were told that that he might be red shirting. Uh, Tawi Walker, we'll talk about his availability, but if he's give it a go, run the ball with your running backs plus Dylan Gabriel. Throw the ball downfield to your wide receivers, and th- there should be no excuse to I- empty the holster. Uh, if you lose against Oklahoma State, try to be too aggressive downfield. I think that it is, it is what it is. That probably has a lot to do with your inability to tackle Ollie Gordon as well, if that's how no, that works out. No doubt, no doubt. Um, so that's that's a, the offense, I think, in a nutshell, the offensive performance, which, again, we went over some of this on Saturday night. 
Um, we'll get a clearer look at it uh, when we rewatch the game Sunday. Uh, I wrote 3,000 words Sunday <laughs> on just my rewatch of the game. And what I would recommend you guys do is, if you still got it on your DVR, push play, watch it back with me, and look at my uh, m- look at my recap and my review as the game unfolds. If you got an extra two and a half hours, you can you can fast forward commercials and all that stuff. Take a look at uh, my assessment of each drive, basically, and how things went sideways when they didn't really need to go sideways. So that's the offense. <clears throat> Let's dive into some defense real quick. Uh, Brent Venables yesterday, great quote. We put on a clinic on how not to tackle, particularly in the first half. That's a reflection on me. My name's all over that. That's not on the players. Hmm. Does that mean... Does that mean Brent went to the practice schedule last week, Ryan, and and said, guys, let's take the tackling element, the tackling segments of the practice. We usually spend 10 minutes on live tackling. Let's take that out. Did Brent go to the coaches and say, we're not tackling this week? We're not going to practice tackling? I, I seriously doubt it, right? I get what he's saying. That's what a good leader does. A general is going to go back to the president and say, Mr. President, we lost this battle because of me. That's what a good general does. That's what good leaders do. But it, missed tackles are not over, are, are not on the head coach. Um, not, I don't think, to the extent that what we saw Saturday. It was weird, Ryan. Pro, uh, you and I left that game and we're looking at it. And we're saying, man, Oklahoma tackled terrible, especially in the first half. Um, fo- uh, yeah, the broadcast, AB, it was Fox. Yeah, it was Fox was there. Big, big noon kickoff. They were saying at some point during the game, Oklahoma's got five missed tackles in the first quarter alone. Whoa, that's a lot, right? So when Pro Football Focus released their numbers, they had nine for the game. And I'm like, that's that can't be right. I went back and I counted, um, kept a running total of all the missed tackles I saw on the Sunday review. 13, which is not the worst they've had. They've had 15 against UCF, I think, and 16 against Texas. But 13 is not good. Um, Jaron Kanick did not have a great game at all. Danny Stutzman wasn't having a good game before he got hurt. Fact of the matter is, Ryan, three linebackers on this team, Stutzman, Kanick, and Kobe McKenzie. Um, and we'll talk about Kip, Kip Lewis in the next segment. But those guys posted their lowest grade of the season, according to the Pro Football Focus, by far. I mean, in the 20s and 30s, whereas usually they're in the 70s or 80s. That says a lot. Yeah, I, I think that I, I think where Brent Middles might have been coming from is that he's always said tackling is a mentality, and that's something like Desan McCola talked about, and he believes it's his duty to motivate those guys, have the right mentality. So I think that's where that comes from. Uh, Kanick continues to have these issues. He's had them all year long. He's over-pursuing. He's tackling high. Uh, I would not he's play him. He's, he's too amped up. Yeah, I would not play him more than either Kip Lewis or Kobe McKenzie, which might be controversial. I would use him as the rotation this week because you can't do that against Ollie Gordon. You're he's Ollie Gordon's be dancing in the end zone over and over if that's what happens. I'm just the the question, and we had so much stuff to cover that I wasn't able to get back into the queue and all that stuff. But ultimately, I'd like to know up front. Did it look less physical because of a Texas hangover like you've talked about and you asked about? We're going to talk about here in a minute, a story that you wrote. Or did it look less physical the last two weeks because 
UCF and Kansas do so much stuff pre-snap that instead of just reading and reacting, those guys are thinking, and then it takes them half a second, and then by that time, Kansas and UCF are in their face, and it looks like they're getting blown off the football. If that's the case, I think we'll know on Saturday, because while Oklahoma State has been really, really good running the ball, it's come because they've simplified things on their end and just said we're we're going to be less complicated, make the reads easier for the line, make it easier for Ollie Gordon, and they've seen huge results. So I think we'll know that pretty quickly come about 7 p.m. on Saturday. If it's still a mentality, if they're not able to play up to, to that emotion they play with against Texas, or if it was a – they're just playing half a step slow against two offenses that are very complicated and had an extra week to prepare for Oklahoma. I think we'll find that out pretty quickly on Saturday. You make a great point with the number one and number two, Brent Venables told us, deceptive offenses in the country, right? That's why you do that. That's why if you're Gus Malzahn or Lance Leipold, that's why you run that offense because you can almost upset an Oklahoma by getting them to think too much, getting them outside of their head, getting them outside of their shoes a little bit. Uh, and then here uh, a week later, you can host Oklahoma and beat them on your own turf by doing the same concepts, a lot of the same things. So you're making them guess. You're making them slow down defensively. Oklahoma, the first six games, was taking the fight to people defensively. This this game, these last two games, a lot of times they were they were standing and reading and wondering. I'll give you an example. Um, that fourth down play that Brent said he should have called timeout at the end of the game, the fourth and – Six, like six, seven. Um, that turned into a 39-yard pass play, right? Because the guy was wide freaking open. The reason he was wide open is almost at the snap, right before the snap of the football, KU was down, center had his hand on the ball. Everybody was in a three-point stance. The receivers were all looking in at the quarterback. Everybody was lined up. You look at the Oklahoma defense. I counted. I freeze-framed it. There are eight guys who are doing this looking over to the sideline, looking over to the coaching staff, waiting for the signal to come in. They were lost. That's all you got to do. Timeout. Timeout probably saves that situation. Who knows how it ends up, but at least you're not standing there with eight guys going, what do we do? What do we do? That was that was rough to watch because when, when one or two guys, they talk about it all the time, when one or two guys doesn't do their job, oh, it could go to the house, 60 yards to the house. No, this was eight guys wondering what the hell's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and we, we talked about it uh, not on the podcast, but we, were, we saw each other yesterday for the press conference. I was like, you know what it reminded me of? Uh, the last three years of the Mike Stoops defense where yeah. the, those guys were just looking over at the sideline and for all of his faults in year one and Alex Grinch, he immediately simplified it. You, there's the clips that went around of everyone looking at the wristband at the exact same time. Everyone at least knew what the play call was. Uh, th- that's what it reminded me of. And that's why, again, not to beat a dead horse or anything like that, Brent Venables after the game talked about, well, I didn't like to give Kansas a chance to draw something up. Fine. That's a fine thought process. If you know what the play is and yeah. you just don't execute when no one knows what the play is, th- that should have gone out the window. That should never be a consideration. It's a fourth down where you win the game. If you get the stop, Make sure that you have guys who know what the call is. And that I just put fully on the coaching staff and fully yeah. on Brent Venables. He, he's the DC and the head coach. That was just him making a bad call. Yeah. And he acknowledged after the game, he, he fell on the sword. He said, man, I should have called timeout right there. I wish I had called timeout. 
clearly that would have uh, probably mitigated that situation. Uh, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take a break right here. Uh, I've got to get to uh, coming up. We're going to talk about my question to Brent on why the performance drop-off has been so dramatic since the Texas game. Not a Texas hangover, but why the big drop-off? Plus, uh, we'll talk about the college football playoff rankings. We'll talk about injuries. Don't miss that part. You're going to want to know who's playing against Oklahoma State. And we're going to preview that game with the Cowboys. Uh, Ollie Gordon, holy cow. Alan Bowman is playing quarterback. And far as I can tell, he's the only quarterback that they're playing right now. I've done a little <laughs> research, right? And uh, first few games they played, like every quarterback they have, last few games they've only played one. And guess what? They're on a winning streak. Funny how that works out, right? That's all coming next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. If you're on Twitter, give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John E. Hoover. Ryan, you can find him at underscore Ryan Chapman. Ross is at Ross Lovelace and Randall is at Randall Sweet 5. Follow him for all the latest recruiting news. We'll have Randall on later in the show to talk about OU recruiting. The website is allsooners.com. We're a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. All free, no signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards needed. All Sooners is all free all the time. This segment of the All Sooners podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. I have a question for you. How much of your retirement savings are you willing to lose? All of it, some of it, or maybe you'd prefer not to lose any of it, right? If you're nearing retirement or you're already in retirement, the math and the science studies have shown that a few bad market years could absolutely wipe away the kind of retirement that you dreamed of. But there is a way to safely grow your money and not have any market risk. You can even turn your savings into guaranteed lifetime income. I'm in, right? At Infinite Asset Advisors, not only do they help plan for retirement, but they also show you how to become debt-free before you get there. They're experts in financial planning, retirement planning, even estate planning. So all you got to do is visit the website, infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn more. Email them at team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or just call 512 510-0130. All right, Ryan, let's roll this bad boy. College football playoff rankings. The one everybody wants to talk about, right? Yay! Sooners are number nine. I know, right? This was going to be, if they beat, all I got to do is go on the road and beat Kansas. Go on the road and beat Kansas. First college football playoff rankings come out Halloween. No. No. Sooners are number nine. I think they probably would have been top three, maybe for sure top four. If they had beaten Kansas, I think they had uh, put on a strength of record, not strength of schedule, but strength of record strong enough that uh, the playoff committee was pretty impressed. Uh, Instead, they come in number nine, which is two spots below Texas. (laughs) 
who is one spot above Alabama, who lost to Texas by 10 points in Tuscaloosa. So uh, Alabama's one spot above Oklahoma. Um, is it too early, Ryan, you think, to try to make sense of this? First one of these is never accurate, is never projects to the, to the last one. But um, it's a starting place. Is this a, a, an appropriate starting place for Oklahoma? Yeah. It, you look at Oklahoma's schedule, they have two ranked teams that they've played. One of them they lost in embarrassing fashion. The other one they beat. Uh, if you look at how polls work, Oklahoma lost more recently than Texas, so they're going to drop below Texas. And really the playoff committee used head-to-head twice, Washington over Oregon. Washington's also unbeaten. Uh, Texas over Oklahoma – or Texas over Alabama, excuse me. That that next spot, not the Texas over Oklahoma. You look lower down in the rankings. KU's at 21. OSU's at 22. Guess who won that game? All that stuff. In the end, there are two college football playoff rankings that matter. The ones going into conference championship weekend, so you know what you have to do, and the ones that set the playoff. If you're worried about them other than that, just take a chill pill. It's fine. None of this actually matters. <laughs> it's it's the theater of college football. I love college football yeah. and and I love rankings and how and but look, I've done this before. If you sat me down today, this early in the season, I know it's November 1st, and you gave me a top 25. I guarantee you some of the reasoning I would use for teams in the six, seven, eight range, you'd then circle back and be like, but Ryan, at 18, 19, 20, you did this. And I'd be like, yeah, I just think that that team stinks a little bit, and I have to rank it, stuff like that. There is no perfect resume versus eye test versus gut versus if Oklahoma won by three points or four points, even though they won by four, you said they won by three, and you killed the AP poll in the process. No, none of that stuff. Um, don't worry about it. it. If Oklahoma wins out, they'll have a chance to be there. Because they lost to Kansas, they no longer control their destiny. So I uh, give you guys a little background here. I was previously an AP voter, AP Top 25 voter. It was a nightmare. Uh, because as I tend to do with everything in my life, I overcooked it. I overthought it. I watched ten, minimum 10 games a week. And I did it when the, right when the DVR was invented. TiVo had been out for a few years, but then the DVR, uh, the Cox Cable thing I had, they provided a digital video. And I'm like, this is amazing. I can watch a game in an hour. So as busy as I am covering the Sooners, right, with the grind and the beat and all the stuff, that was the year that I also voted on the AP polls. I think it was 2005. And so, oh, you had no chance of being in the AP poll because they stunk that year. Um they were rebuilding. Everybody remembers the, that was the Rhett Bomar year and Adrian Peterson hurt his ankle. So they had no chance of being in the top 25, but I voted. I was a conscientious voter every week. And I watched literally minimum of 10 games a week. Um, would, would watch the offensive line, the defensive line. Who's, who's got control of this game. It's hard. It's harder than you think to, to, you know, you can look at scores and you can look at highlights and you say, oh, I think this team's better. But if you're really going to put your name on something and say, this is my ballot and this is what I believe, you better be fully invested. And I was, and uh, the AP hasn't had me back yet (laughs) because I was always the last one getting my ballot in because I just wasn't sure about 23 over 24 or should I put 24 over 25? Overdoing it. Uh, The other thing is um, I uh, I was on the second ever mock selection committee that you go down and spend a couple of days in Grapevine, Texas with the actual selection committee and Bill Hancock 
and all those people that are in that room and they put you literally in the same room as the committee. And they say, okay, we're ranking the top 25. We're going to start with the top six. Give me your top six. Give me your next four. Give me your next three. Okay, now give me your final 10 or whatever, whatever the countdown was. And we would, you break it down. The committee sits down in this room and everybody has their opinions and then everybody votes and then the vote pops up on your screen, right? And then you're sitting there looking at the screen and somebody raises a hand and says, uh, I'd like to discuss numbers eight through 11. And then somebody, somebody will present, here's why number 11 should be ranked above number 10. And here's why number nine should be ranked above number eight. And then they'll re-vote on that group. And then they'll re-vote the whole thing on the top 25. And then somebody else will raise a hand and say, I would like to re, uh, reconsider number one through number four, because I think uh, number two should be number one and number four should be number three. And and they'll re-vote again and they go over this over and over and over. And I thought I was overcooking it, right? So the, the purpose of this committee is to get each one of these right. And I know here's the deal. Fact is they don't get everyone right. It's a, it's a, a very long drawn out process. They're trying their best. No, I don't think there's anybody corrupt in there. There may be somebody with some built-in biases, but I don't think there's like a, an agenda. So I don't know. doesn't matter. Week one, Sooners are number nine. Fact is they have a path. Win the rest of your games, win the big 12 championship. You don't have to be number one. You just have to be number four. You're in the playoff. Let me ask you this. Coming out of the game Saturday, not exact ranking. Where where did you think Oklahoma was going to end up coming out of uh, the Kansas game? Well, I told you in the car driving back to that uh, the parking lot that um, they'll probably fall to number twenty. That was a a uh, an egregious overreaction by me. I never really thought that they would go to twenty, but going on the road, losing to Kansas historically is going to drop you a lot. This Kansas team's pretty good. This Kansas team comes in ranked number twenty two this week, so. Um, what was in a, what was realistic? Um, again, they're not falling from anywhere. They're not climbing from anywhere because this is the first rankings. I think 10 is probably about right. See, I thought they'd be close to 14, 15, somewhere in there. Cause they've played nobody outside of yeah. Texas. So I think that if anything, I know that a lot of OU fans latched on to the, well, they lost to blah, 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 blah. Uh, again, if Oklahoma gets to where they want to go, they'll play Texas again. It's fine. Or Texas will have lost to Kansas State and somebody else, and Texas will be out of there. So, like, that that's not an issue. Um, I, I i truly thought that outside of that game, SMU's not held up. Uh, Arkansas State and Tulsa haven't held up. You didn't see an Iowa State who's playing better, all that stuff. So, for Oklahoma, you look at the other Big 12 teams, they've played the number seven team. They lost to 21. They'll play 22 in Oklahoma State this week, and the only way they'll play 23 K-State is in the Big 12 championship game. Otherwise, there is no strength of schedule, not record, uh, to stand on. So, if anything, I thought that was a huge positive for Oklahoma to still be in the top 10 after playing about as bad as you could draw it up uh, against Kansas. Yeah, and and I agree with what you're saying. The fact that they're – where's my uh, chart that I had here for just a second ago? The fact that they're ahead of one loss Louisville – one loss Missouri and one loss Penn State and one loss Ole Miss. Uh, how much of that is brand recognition? You know, well, it's Oklahoma, right? Or how much of that is 
Yeah, but they beat number three, Texas, which is now number seven, Texas, right? Uh, I think both of those play into that. And fair, fair or not fair, you know, whether it's Penn State or Missouri, everybody wants to be in, up there in the top ten. Oklahoma grabbed that spot, let's just say it, partly because they have that OU paperclip on the side of their helmet. They have a brand recognition that's going to sell tickets and, and get eyeballs, right? And not that Penn State doesn't, not that Ole Miss doesn't, not that Louisville or Missouri doesn't. Well, Louisville Missouri might not so much, right? I'm talking about college football blue bloods here. OU's one of those brands that's going to um, that's going to make money for everybody, and they get go back to the 2003 BCS rankings, going all the way back 20 years. Oklahoma always gets the benefit of the doubt in these rankings. Yeah, and and they beat Texas when everybody watched. So if, if most people have probably watched two OU games, and it's probably been Texas and Kansas. So for as bad as Kansas was, they're like, well, when it went right, that's what it looks like. So none of it matters. Uh, like Kirk Herbstreit said right. on Twitter to an angry Ohio State fan a couple weeks ago, uh, who gives an S just when you'll be there in the end? Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's get to the serious stuff, Ryan. Um, we need to talk about injuries. There's two big ones: one for the offense, one for the defense, that are iffy, a little bit nebulous this week, a little bit of a gray area. I think my own self. I think Danny Stutzman is going to try to play, and I think Tawi Walker is going to play. And I don't think I don't know if he's going to be fully effective, but I think both guys are going to give it a go. I think Tawi Walker might be in a little slightly better shape than Danny Stutzman. Yeah, Brent was asked directly about Danny Stutzman, and he said, Danny feels good. Danny tells him he feels good, but they'll have to see on Saturday. Yeah. The follow-up about Tawi was feel the same way. So in layman's parlance, both those guys, game-time decisions. You're right, though. Um, just standing around at practice, uh, after practice, we just get to see purely who is suited up, who is mm-hmm. not suited up. Who is sweating? Like, like that is literally like what that looks like. Tawi okay. Walker had all of his jersey on, the same as everybody else that participated. It looked like he had been uh, – it the way he was sweating does not look like he just stood on the side and watched everybody all practice. And Stutzman had the protective boot. So uh, Peyton Bowen had the protective boot the last two weeks, and he played. Doesn't mean he can't play. Uh, but we'll, we'll just see. So that puts a lot of focus on Kip Lewis, Kobe McKenzie, those guys. If Danny Stutzman can't go or if he can't go 100% of the snaps, what are those guys going to do? Because that's who's going to be the, the other options at the center of the Oklahoma defense to try and slow down Ollie Gordon. Ginger Williams um, back in practice as well. So I'm sorry. I talked over you. Who was that? Oh, Gentry Williams is back in he practice Monday. He's back in practice as well. Sorry, that's the other one. That's a pretty big one, Ryan, because Kanai Walker, um, he actually posted an okay PFF grade, take it for what it's worth. But there were times in that game that Kanai Walker looked absolutely lost, and he's been out with his own injury. He's back, he's playing. You know, you're glad that he's able to get on the field, but uh, especially that, uh, that keeper by Jason Bean, where he just had no awareness what was happening behind him. He ran, ran for the touchdown right behind him untouched. So Kanai struggling a little bit, um, maybe at this point of the season or at this point of his career. How big is that for Gentry Williams to be back? I, I think it's huge because because yeah, uh, what what we just talked about in the first segment about um, being able to throw downfield, what that could do for you, open up in the run game. 
Think about the exact same thing for Oklahoma State. It's not as explosive of a passing attack at any point this year as what we've seen that Oklahoma can be. But if Presley gets behind the defense and Kanai Walker messes that up, if if any of those guys are able to get going, it's going to make life that much harder on Oklahoma. Whereas if they can bottle up Allen Bowman, he's not really a running threat. I really don't think Oklahoma State's offensive line is any good still. Like I watched them play the first four weeks pretty closely one of the worst units in the conference. They've been more simplified, but Kansas State forced them to kick a ton of field goals. Kansas' defensive front stinks. We saw it. Um, Cincinnati, outside of uh, Dante Quilione and Briggs, they stink top to bottom. Uh, West Virginia, I don't think they've got any horses that are worth the dang up front either. So this stretch, Ollie Gordon's been incredibly impressive. Oklahoma should overmatch Oklahoma State's offensive line. And if Gentry Williams is there and it not even making a play on the football, interceptions, that stuff, if they're just staying in front of the Oklahoma State wide receivers, it's going to be on Ollie Gordon to do it all himself. He's that good. He can do it all himself. Oklahoma doesn't tackle. Uh, but I would pick Oklahoma, and I'd pick Oklahoma to win that comfortably if that's the scenario that plays out. That's a lot of ifs, though. We haven't seen Gentry Williams really play a whole game. Woody Washington can't have bad moments. The safeties, they got to shore that up. I didn't think Key Lawrence had his best game on Saturday. Pearson's going to miss the first half. How healthy is Peyton Bo- Like, that's a lot of ifs that we just got to, uh, yeah. to to get to that scenario with Oklahoma. And I think that's more on the table than, than uh, you think if Stutzman can play and is healthy and all that stuff. I'm trying to think. Is there any other personnel issues going on right now? Any other uh, question Marcus marks? Major didn't play. Marcus Major is a non-factor at this point. I, that does not matter to me, frankly. Um, Marcus Major uh, didn't play against Kansas, may or may not play against uh, Oklahoma State. I did not see, see it. Real quick, I didn't see Marcus Major dressed out on Monday. Uh, okay. I, I clocked every other running back. in the, they, It was like a, after practice, they break into their position groups, and they were just stretching. But I checked off every other running back except for 24 with the running backs. What do you think is going on at the running back position when you bring Javante Barnes out of a month of injury? He made his Big 12 debut uh, Saturday against Kansas, and he came in with the game on the line. Like, we got to get a first down. Let's give it to Javante Barnes. You've got an ankle injury to Tawi Walker, obviously. You've got Marcus Major wasn't even there. As far as I know, he might have been there and not suited up. Um, and then uh, Gavin Sawchuk just wasn't real effective, but he had carried the football and has carried the football more recently, several dozen times more than than um, Javante Barnes. They've turned the game over. Two, two of the three most important plays down the stretch, they turned the game over to Javante Barnes. Uh, at least they didn't turn and hand it to Jaleel Farouk, right, if they're going to do that. Uh, but what's your what's your read on that situation with the running backs? Uh, candidly, either DeMarco Murray or Jeff Levy have lost their mind as far as what – like a week ago they trusted Gavin Sawchuk to close the game out against UCF. Yeah. Tommy Walker in that middle portion of the game where Oklahoma was dominant on the ground against Kansas basically got 100% of the work. So we didn't get to see Gavin Sawchuk run behind uh, Sexton and Green to know if he was going to be more effective against Kansas. I place that at the feet of the coaches, whether it's Jeff Levy, DeMarco Murray. Those two guys got to chop it up since we can't actually talk to DeMarco during the year and we only get a couple of minutes with Jeff Levy a week. 
Uh, and Jeff Levy is as uninteresting an interview as it gets. Win or lose, the only difference is he is a smirk. He does not answer questions. He is mega coach speak. That's the Jeff Levy experience, and and he did not really answer questions on Saturday to shed light. It's a, we will evaluate everything. Well, Jeff, your evaluations stink this year with the running backs. They've been terrible uh, outside of Tawi Walker, which I think they kind of stumbled themselves into. So I'm not yeah. expecting to have any more clarity on Saturday. Uh, we'll see if uh, the talks that were had Sunday was a very clear, here is the guy you need to get the ball to in Tawi Walker. If he's not healthy, here is option B, option C. Because it was not a fair position to put Javante Barnes in to right. not have touched the ball since Tulsa and have to close out the game when apparently he was hurt too. So he got some magic spray from the soccer program and, and got that thing going, I guess. Uh, it was not a fair position to put Javante Barnes in, and he missed a key cut. Yeah, he did because his uh, – I know of no other way to say this, but with air quotes, his eyes were rusty, right? Does that make sense? Like he he's not used to seeing the the game unfold in front of him at full speed, and he missed that cut, which would have been an easy touchdown. Um, anyway, uh, let's move on to why you think what what really I don't want to delve too deep into this because it was what it was. It was me asking a question to Brent Venables about the performance drop off since the Texas game, and he took that to mean as a direct question to. Um, a, a, a Texas hangover. Like we beat Texas and now we can't beat anybody or we're not any good because we got, we put all of our eggs in the, in the Texas basket, so to speak. That wasn't what the question was about. It was more about why the big performance drop off. You guys put so much into that game. Watch the, the hype videos and the cinematic recap and all this stuff, right. They were, which were amazing. But they came out and they had a big celebration and they were talking trash about what they're going to say now and who we play now and all this. They have not been the same team. They had a bye week the following week and they played UCF, then they played Kansas. Part of that may be some of the trickeration of the offenses that we talked about earlier, Ryan. But part of it, I think, is the fact that they walked off that field in the Cotton Bowl saying, we're back. We, Oklahoma, are back. And I don't know that that's the case, right? I don't think yet in year two of the Brent Venables experience that that's the case, but I think the players thought that they got a wake-up call against UCF and they didn't wake up because they got beat by Kansas. Now, is Kansas and UCF a real wake-up call for this team? Has to be. I mean, it has to be. You'd think so. I, I And Brent Venables, when he answered your question, he talked about um, – Hey, you go out there and you force four three and outs immediately against UCF, one of the most explosive offenses in the country. Is that a hangover? And I thought that was the telling thing, why it's not a hangover, but it's just a bigger issue. And I don't think it's a coaching. I think it's purely the defense was really bad last year, and it's unrealistic to expect them to be a top 10 iron curtain or steel curtain unit that can go out there and just dictate the game for four quarters every single Saturday. We saw it against Iowa State. They started the game with the pick six and then gave up four scoring drives. And and the players, not Brent Venables, the players, Danny Stutzman had said, I think we got over to the sideline and just weren't 100% focused because we're like, oh, look, we're playing so well, all that stuff. And they got them locked back in. I I think that when you have the early success against UCF plus the Texas game, that's a group that wasn't as focused. And then you add the deception in there, and that's how you get – 
a defensive line that that didn't look overly dominant at times. I think that's magnified against Kansas, who is just better than UCF and had the extra week and all that stuff. I think all of that plays into it. I don't know what piece of the pie you want to give to hangover, what piece of the pie you want to give to injuries, what piece of the pie you want to give to this is still a work in progress, and it's yeah. going to be a couple of years until Oklahoma is a defense that you can say they should go and shut everyone down week after week after week for four quarters. Yeah, and Brent started his response with, I think every game is its own thing, its own season or whatever. Each, each We have 12 one-game seasons, right, basically was where he was going. And I interrupted him, and I said, yeah, well, well you, do, you don't think they're connected at all? And then he said, Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But the fact of the matter is guys play with emotion. They play this game. This is an, an extremely emotional game. Just ask Jared Canick, right, who he pointed out again, and he used the words. These are his words. First three plays of, of uh, that UCF game, that goal line stand, we're getting ready to have another goal line stand. We knocked their ass back. That's Brent Venables in a nationally televised press conference using that kind of language, right? So he he was a little agitated. And then he said, but then we had a guy who got too emotional. It's an emotional game. Players play with emotion. They play with, uh, you can create from one win to the next week. You can create momentum. I think enough of us have been around this game a long time to be able to see, uh, you see teams like Oklahoma State. Let's just call it right there. See teams come out and absolutely stink it up at the beginning of the season. And frankly, we've seen this before from Mike Gundy where they come out and they're two and three or something like that, or one and two. And you're like, Oh, the season's over. This team's trash, but Gundy coaches them up. They get better over the course of the season and they're not the same team. That is exactly what happened to Oklahoma state this year. They were absolute garbage three, four games into the season. And guess what? Now they're in first place in the big 12 tied for first place. So, Oh, you better strap it on, on Saturday, right? Strap it up and, and play some football. Um, why hasn't Oklahoma gotten better since the Texas game? They've gotten markedly worse since the Texas game. So that's that's kind of the, the spirit of the question. Yeah, and I think you just look at both sides of the ball. I think the offense, we've covered it. Andrew Anthony's hurt and Jeff Levy, there are questions out there, questions yep. about uh, how many good games has he really called, and he needs to respond. So I think that – and also just play Caden Green at left guard. End of discussion. That's yeah, your offensive right. issues. Boom. Done. Dusted. If Tommy Walker's hurt, they're going to have trouble running the ball again on Saturday. Just know it. Um, defensively, I think I think it's a, a tougher conundrum to, to kind of unravel. And, and uh, I think we've tried to hit on it a little bit, but uh, we'll find out on Saturday. The last piece is simply this. Oklahoma is going to have to tackle Ollie Gordon. Ollie Gordon will run over you. He will run around you. He will juke you out. If you are not, if there's a second of hesitation, uh, Desan McCullough said it. You got to be ready for the smoke, he said this week. When you step into that hole, you cannot hesitate or you will look silly. That last part paraphrasing. Um, that is what the challenge is for Oklahoma this weekend because they are better up front along the offensive and defensive line than what they will play against. But we've seen if they're not in sync and focused, that has not mattered because guess what? They were better up front than UCF, and they were better up front than Kansas. They got pushed and lost. Well, let's talk about Ollie Gordon. Um, when this po- when this particular podcast, you ever see the movie Contact 
Jody Foster, when this particular podcast gets blasted out into the cosmos, right? The aliens are going to say, he got how many carries last year? Ollie Gordon got how many carries last year? 62. What? Yeah, history is going to look back on Ollie Gordon's 2022 season and say, how in the hell does this guy get 62 carries in one season? And 29, 29 of those, so half, were over the last two games. Okay, so he grew. He had the offseason that he had. He had a great offseason, right? He comes back bigger, stronger, faster, more determined than ever. First three games this season, 19 carries. 19 carries Mike Gundy in the Oklahoma State offense, Casey Dunn and those guys, gave to Ollie Gordon in the first three season, first three games of this season. Then he had 18, gained 121 yards. Then he had 21 for 136. Then he had 29 for 168 and also caught six passes for 116 yards. Then he caught 29 for 282. I'm sorry, that, that was their handoffs, 29 for 282. Then he got 25 for 271. He is now at 1,087 yards and 10 touchdowns. He's averaging 7.7 yards per carry. Basically in the last five games, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, Ollie Gordon's amazing. In the preseason, we said this. This is, as much as we've hammered the coaching staff and Norman, Oklahoma State is 2-2 two and two because Mike Gundy and Casey Dunn misevaluated what they had, and it's not the first time that Mike Gundy hasn't been able to put heads for tails coming out of fall camp. It's an issue yeah. that he's had historically his career. Oklahoma State should be unbeaten because they have Ollie Gordon and because they should have just picked a quarterback and went with it. And Ollie Gordon is proving them right, proving everyone who just yelled and yelled and yelled for the first four weeks right because there was no excuse. Look at the Kansas game. What Ollie Gordon did through the air, he's shown you he can be effective coming out of the backfield whether he's getting the handoff or the ball's being thrown. So there should have been no excuse in the South Alabama game. Well, we got behind, so we can't run the football. He's the best player on your team. Him and Colin Oliver are the two best players. The defense hasn't had any issues saying, well, Colin Oliver needs to play. It's just ignorance, arrogance, whatever. It's a big game plan mismanagement through four games. And coming out of the bye week, Mike Gundy said this much, right, in his press conference. He's like, I went to the team, and we said, we're sorry. Trust us. This is the game plan going forward. And they've won every game coming off that bye week. So it should have been no mystery to anyone. Everyone in Stillwater is yelling about it. And I'm just happy for Ollie Gordon that he's getting those carries to show the kind of player he is because he's an unbelievable runner. We mentioned it. Speed, agility, elusiveness in the open field, and just the want to. He's such a fun, violent runner. Like you watch him and he wants to put his shoulder through a guy, run over him, and then run for 30 more yards and then sell. It, it's just a fun brand of football to watch. And uh, just just happy that we're getting to see that because uh, it was coaching malpractice the first four weeks that we didn't see it. Coaching malpractice is exactly the two words I was going to use. Uh, shout out the aliens still listening, by the way, after that <laughs> one. Uh, what about uh, the, a similar uh, malfeasance maybe with uh, the quarterback situation? You mentioned it, but they played three quarterbacks for three games, couldn't figure it out, tried different combinations, tried rolling them in rotationally, tried – First half, second half, tried different guys. And then finally they just say, you know what? Let's give it to Alan Bowman, sixth-year senior, former starter at Texas Tech, was a freshman phenom before he got his lung collapsed against Oklahoma. Um, went to Michigan, didn't play, decided he wanted to come back to the Big 12. Ryan, since taking over, well, just in general, he's completed 57% of his passes, which is not great. Not 
It's not really very good at all. But he's collected 200 in the last five games since becoming starter. 278 yards, 235 yards, 336 yards, 210 yards, and 286 yards, despite the fact that he's only had three games this year over 60% completions. He's the best they've got. Why couldn't they recognize this before? And I, I, I'll tell you but back to Mike Gundy's history. I used to cover them. You guys know 2002, 2003, when he was the offensive coordinator. And um, I was a columnist at the World from 2012 to 2016. So covered a lot of Mike Gundy press conferences, a lot of OSU games in those stretches. He's just not good at picking, a, picking the right quarterback from time to time. Sometimes he'll pick the wrong guy entirely. And I think that's what happened here. He was trying to give everybody a chance when Alan Bowman was, to me, when he decided to transfer back from Michigan, that was your choice. That was your guy. Uh, Garrett Rangel and Gunnar Gundy were not, had not played on his level. Um, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe there was something in there in the evaluations that the, that led the coaching staff to believe that this was going to be the year for those guys. But Bowman, to me, was always the choice. Yeah, it, Mike Gundy's elite developer. He's just not good at picking the right quarterback to start, which I think yeah. I think that actually played a role in this decision, that Mike Gundy actually tried to peel the curtain back and be a little self-aware and recognize that he's gotten that decision wrong a couple of times. And mm-hmm. I, I, in a weird way, for as much as I will hammer until the – like give me another nail and I'll hammer again away at not using Ollie Gordon – I, I do, I think, understand the psychology of what was happening here, even though he should have gone to one quarterback sooner. The fact of the matter is it's not like Alan Bowman had a ton of time, years and years and years, to have chemistry with the wide receivers. It's always a makeshift offensive line in Stillwater because Mike Gundy refuses to try to recruit ever. That's just not something he has any interest in. And so it, it's a group that, like, Bowman's not super mobile. They just needed to pick him so that they could say, this is what we want to do with our protection. He needs to get on the same page with the receivers. And you've seen the results. Like, he doesn't have to go out there and be a Heisman Trophy candidate. They have one of those in Ollie Gordon. He just needs to take enough shots and take those shots when they're there to get the ball to Brennan Presley in stride on those swing passes out of the backfield and and try to keep the defense honest instead of just committing every single hat to stopping Ollie Gordon. And that's exactly what he's done. It's I think when, Al, when Bowman came to Stillwater, they didn't expect him to be a – 70% completion, throwing it all over the yard. Like, I just, they needed him to be exactly this the modern game manager. Don't turn the ball over, mm-hmm. take the deep shots that are there, keep the defense honest. And total credit to Bowman for staying locked in and keep it rolling. Credit to Mike Gundy and Casey Dunn for retooling how they attacked that passing game off the bye week since then. And that's going to be key. If Oklahoma could get a turnover early, I think you run the risk of exactly how Jeff Levy got into his shell and got scared. I think that Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy, we know how Mike Gundy coaches in this game more than any. It will become a conservative game plan, and it will be up to tackling. That may play right into what Oklahoma State wants to do, because, again, I'm not sold Oklahoma's going to tackle Ollie Gordon well. But I think that that's kind of the, the, the path forward for Oklahoma in this game is you just got to be good against Bowman early, and I think Oklahoma State might go into the shell relying on Ollie Gordon. Also, I'll give you this, Ryan. Uh, I'm no coach, but I play one on the podcast, so here goes. Uh, against South Alabama, Brennan Presley had three catches for 11 yards, L. Against Iowa State, he had two catches for nine yards, L. 
He has had more catches, four, at least four catches every other game, except for last week when they were blowing out Cincinnati, but he still averaged 13 yards a catch in that game. Uh, if Oklahoma State wants to win, they'd be probably uh, smart to get the ball to Brennan Presley. He's one of those guys. He's uh, one of those guys on that uh, receiver core. They've got some good receivers who are evolving and developing for sure, uh, but he's he's one of them. He's, he's one of, to me, he's one of the keys to the game. Um, but Oklahoma's defense is going to have its hands full, Ryan, to the point where, and we teased this earlier, you wrote a story on what to do about the linebackers, including the idea, and we talked about this, I think, on Saturday night, it might be time to shelve for now the Jaron Canick experience. Yeah, the, the number one thing with the linebackers is going to be day assessment, game time decision, what's he do, all that stuff. But you look at it, I've got the numbers in front of me here. Forgive me if you're watching the the YouTube for me looking down at my army of sticky notes. But here you go. Kip Lewis, he's at 122 snaps per pro football focus this year. Uh, 42 of those were against Kansas. He was the one that, that slotted in and played a huge role. His previous season highest was 19. He's had a missed tackle percentage this year per PFF of 13.8%. Only four missed tackles. Jaron Kanick, the starter, 25.4%, the missed tackle percentage. Kanick is over-pursuing, which is leading him to have to either tackle high or arm tackle, and it's Mm -hmm. leading to missed tackles. So uh, uh, Kobe McKenzie, his percentage is just 18.2% on the season. He did not play as much as Kip did, credited with 10 snaps against Kansas. That's the same as he played against Tulsa. But Kobe is a lot bigger guy. He is someone that Brentman was last year classified as, or the description was concrete in his helmet. That was Kobe. Desama Cole talked about guys not hesitating. If, if Kobe McKenzie meets Ollie Gordon in the gap, that has the potential to be uh, Adam splitting, combustion, because both those guys are going to want to hit each other. But for me, Kip Lewis, he's shown that, that he's the ball magnet, right? Brent Venables said he has performed. He's, and he's not afraid of contact. Look at what he did on the goal line against Texas, on the goal line against UCF. He was front and center. For me, he's got to be the guy. And, and also talking about, um, I asked Hassan McCullough on that last drive, the communication, was that on Kip and Kobe and Jared not getting guys set? Was that just the defense as a whole? Hassan's like, none of that should have been on the linebackers. That was a, a full failure. Brent Venables. Um, Danny Stutzman, when he joined Eddie and I on Monday, DeSamical, everyone has been very complimentary of mentally Kip and Kobe. They think both those guys are really, really smart. If Danny can play, I would go Stutzman and Kip Lewis and not think twice about it and let Jaron rotate in. Uh, if he can't, I'd probably go Kip and Jaron, but have a heavy rotation of Kobe McKenzie and see how the game plays out because, again – Oklahoma's been able to rally and, and do a lot better. You give up one big play, but it, it's not been a backbreaker. Ollie Gordon will house it if you miss that first tackle. Mm-hmm. That's just going to happen at some point on Saturday. The sure-handed tacklers have been Kip and Kobe and Stutzman, not Jaron Canning. Yeah, if Oklahoma State plays it straight up like they have been uh, the last few weeks, uh, Oklahoma's going to need to run a four-man front, four big guys with their hand on the ground, and possibly three I'm talking three real full-time linebackers, uh, not Kendall Dolby rotating in, you know, as the cheetah linebacker. Uh, occasionally, maybe a slot corner if they come out in four wides or something like that. But no, you're going to need um, a power formation defense. And for me, I'm with you. I think Kobe McKenzie brings that pop. And I think um, Brent also used the word at some point this year, a tackling machine. 
I believe, to describe Kip Lewis. So those guys are young, they're fearless, and I think they're ready to play. Ryan, um, last, Bedlam, how you feeling? Me, I hate it. I hate that this is the last Bedlam game that we're probably, in my career, I'm, a, I'm old enough now, this might be the last Bedlam game I ever get to cover. I know you do. Uh, I don't care one way or the other. Um, these games are lying, ladies and gentlemen. These games are uninteresting. It Bedlam. I know what, what Mike what Mike Gundy says. Oh, Bedlam was Bedlam back in my day. Bedlam became Bedlam when the Big Twelve was too dumb to realize that you could protect the Oklahoma and Nebraska rivalry and continue to play that year after year, even if they were on different sides. That is when the primetime rivalry real estate on Oklahoma's schedule got opened up. They had to slide something in there. It happened to be Bedlam. Um, if Les Miles had stayed as the coach, maybe this would be a thing. Mike Gundy has an awful winning percentage in this game. Uh, two of those wins, one of them you needed Lincoln Riley foot out the door. The other yeah. one he needed the re-kick. Like 2011 is the only time that you've had two just elite teams where both coaching staffs want to win the game. And Oklahoma State absolutely pantsed Oklahoma, embarrassed them. Otherwise, this will be a close game for a little bit. Oklahoma's probably going to pull away. Oklahoma is more talented. Brent Venables is a better, like his defensive coordinator record, that translates he'll be a better coach than Mike Gundy will be. Mike Gundy's an elite developer. He is too conservative in this rivalry game, in this game. Brent Venables has already shown you, like Brent Venables just spotted 28 points, and then didn't play for three quarters last year, and Oklahoma won the game anyway. So in this game, uh, it it's just incredibly uninteresting outside of the atmosphere in Stillwater. Like the, There will be better atmospheres that Oklahoma plays in for the first time next year because they actually have large stadiums and not ones that are limited by a basketball arena out one end zone. Like this is an incredibly uninteresting game. And uh, I'll be happy to be done with it for more interesting contests like Tennessee and Florida and Georgia. Now, if that's the trade-off, you take that 100% of the time. Yeah, yeah. I can't literally I'm, – I'm stunned at how I can't disagree with anything you said. Everything <laughs> you said was spot on except, this, except for one thing. This is an uninteresting game. This game's always interesting for one reason or another before – or during the game, it always comes down to something happening, something weird, some kick got missed, or some punt return got got brought back, or some quarterback came off the bench. It's always, always good drama, always good theater, and I'm going to miss it. I, for one, am going to miss it. But what you said is correct. We get to go to Gainesville. There may be some stinkers in Gainesville. There may be some stinkers in Knoxville. There may be some stinkers in, you know, South Carolina and, and Nashville and so on and so forth. I'm going to miss this game. This is a, this has always been, a, this is one of those moments on the college football's calendar every year that it's sooner, sooner fans. Sure. They, you know, they are going to look at this game and say, ah, it's little brother. We're going to pee all over them. Right. Whatever. OU media and OSU media, we love this game. And I, I don't know why you don't love it. I just – I don't understand the infatuate. Like, you know what the result is going to be nine times out of ten. <laughs> Which is fine, but it's Kansas still interesting State to get has there. has a better record against Oklahoma, especially since A&M, Colorado, Nebraska. Like, the Kansas State game, I'm way more interested in that every single time that plays. Uh, Manhattan and Stillwater are comparable atmospheres. Texas Tech and Baylor have been just as interesting. Like, 
it is it is what it is what it is it i i think it would be different if mike gundy acted like he cared at all to to coach this game aggressively <laughs> he like mike gundy's a conservative coach and this game is like the most conservative he is. I, I just i don't get it i don't get the infatuation yeah. with it it like Oklahoma has a marquee rivalry game. It's OU Texas. This one is just like everyone's rabid when Oklahoma comes to town. It's just guaranteed to be sold out because Oklahoma State and the SEC, all those games are going to be sold out. Like yeah. the trade off is not worth having two thoughts about losing Bedlam. Losing Bedlam in all the other sports, way different. Bedlam football, I will not miss it one bit. And uh, when it happens, it. Uh, It'll make it even better when it pops up and happens in a bowl game because then it can be the novelty of it as opposed to the year-to-year of like, yeah, Oklahoma just wins this game every year. Yeah, you know what I'm not going to miss? I'm not going to miss the post-game trash talk because that is lame, right? When your team wins, oh, well, we're going to talk trash now. It's great. It's awesome that you get to talk trash to your coworkers, your neighbors, your your uh, family. We're That's the part we're going to lose, Ryan. That's the part we're going to lose because – what are we going to get on a uh, Reddit and and talk trash to South Carolina fans? Right, that's the way OU fans are looking at this thing now. It's like who who are we going to trash talk? I don't. But, my neighbors are big OSU fans. They got the flag and they got the curb painted and all this other stuff. How am I going to? I guess I guess we'll just trash talk. Uh, you know, because they lost to Kansas State this week or something. The that's trash the part that I'm going to be miss. better because Oklahoma State fans can talk all the trash they want if Oklahoma doesn't win in the SEC. And they don't have that game at the end of the year that they just lose. <laughs> That's true. The 90% factor. Yeah. It's like, again, this is here in the game notes, the most lopsided rivalry there is. We're not losing a thing. Don't worry. They can't even decide <laughs> on a good trophy. Like the Bedlam Bell was incredibly lame. And yeah. then they moved to the very just generic of like, it is a wiry state of Oklahoma that half the coaches in Norman don't even let their teams lift uh looking at you on the softball diamond like that is a directive from the top do not lift that trophy that doesn't mean anything to this program like that is that is what you're losing which is just another game we'll always have men's and women's basketball probably is softball and baseball wrestling staying the big 12 wrestling oklahoma wrestling, State is an affiliate yeah. program in big 12 wrestling like the places where it really matters all the other sports except football, we're going to keep it. And it's going to be yep. great. And like Bedlam basketball rocks, Bedlam softball rocks, Bedlam baseball rocks. Bedlam football ain't a thing. They're going to still do that lame trophy? Uh, sure. Like, can we get a better one? Like, I always take the bell. The bell had personnel. It was something other than just here is the state of Oklahoma. Hand that thing out. Yes, yes. <laughs> hey, good stuff, Ryan. Appreciate you, man. We'll see you. This segment of the All Sooners podcast was a long one, but uh, it was presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Just go to InfiniteAssetAdvisors.com to learn how you can get debt-free and begin real retirement planning right now. Don't wait on on this, folks, because whether it's retirement, private banking, family asset protection, estate planning, or living trusts, let Corey and his team take a look at your portfolio and get you on the way to taking control of your financial future. Call 512-710-0130 or email team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or just head over to their website, infiniteassetadvisors.com. Coming up next, we're going to hit recruiting with Randall. That's next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? 
Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Okay, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Remember, this is where I tell you, if you like the podcast, please like the podcast. Drop us a nice rating on your podcast platform, whatever it is. You know how to do it. Five stars. Thank you very much. We appreciate it entirely. Uh, please like us and share us on social media, too. That really helps get the word out. Spread the spread the word that the All Sooners podcast is bringing you guys something that you enjoy. And uh, we'll strengthen the podcast and make us better because of it, because the audience will grow. And then we'll be held more accountable, because we like to be held accountable. Okay, I rambled, rambled enough. Let's get to Randall. Oh, don't forget YouTube. Like, subscribe, leave us a comment. Mash that like button. I love saying that. I don't know why. It's so stupid. Randall has joined us. Randall, welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Have you thought out from your uh, freeze fest at uh, it wasn't it didn't ever reach freezing temperatures, but you were soaked to the bone on Saturday at Kansas. Yeah, if uh, if you told me it didn't reach freezing temperatures in the moment, I might not have believed you. It's definitely felt like it down there on the field. Um, but, you know, we powered through. We were able to uh, get everything we needed and just thankful that this weekend uh, the weather gods are giving us some great weather in Stillwater or at least supposed to be. Hey, you guys, do me a favor. Go to allsooners.com, uh, click on the football tab at the top, and scroll down, scroll down, scroll down until you get to Randall's Kansas highlights. It's some of his best highlights that he shot of the entire season. This is his first year to do that. But I thought he had his best game shooting the highlights, despite the fact that there are highlights where you can tell he's just kind of <laughs> shivering a little bit because it's so damn cold. But uh, check that out. Uh and spread the word on those too. Click on the little share buttons at the bottom, Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Send those out because uh, Randall sat there in the cold, in the rain, and through a one-hour rain delay for you guys. So do that, please. Get to get to allsooners.com and look up his highlights or just type up Oklahoma, Kansas highlights, all Sooners on the Google machine. They'll take care of you. All right, let's get into some recruiting, Randall. Uh, Alex Shield Knight is the most recent uh, news, as well as a commitment from Reggie Powers. Holy cow. Busy week for the Sooners on the recruiting front, man. Yeah, I mean, so you mentioned Reggie Powers, a hard-hitting safety from Ohio, uh, previously a Michigan State commit. Now, this is a kid who has Ohio State offers, UCLA offers. I mean, uh, very highly recruited player out of Ohio, which we've talked on this podcast before. The state of Ohio always produces football players. He's from Centerville, which is a program that uh, has been very good in the state of Ohio for a while. Um, highly rated recruit, top 150 player in the country, depending on where you look. Um, great, great get for Brent Venables, uh, Jay Valai, Brandon Hall, that defensive back room. I mean, they've got some good pieces in that 2024 class. I mean, Jaden Hardy is a very highly rated recruit. Again, some local kids. Eli Bowen, Michael Patterson, McDonald, but Reggie Powers offers something completely different from those guys. I mean, hard-hitting box safety who will uh, 
will really lay the wood. And I think that Sooner fans, I think Brent Venables, Brandon Hall is going to really, really like uh, what they get out of Reggie Powers. Uh, visited when OU played UCF. Uh, a week from that day, he committed to OU. Seems like he liked what he saw when he was in Norman. And then you mentioned Alex Shieldknight, a guy who's committing a week from this Friday on November 10th. Um, he goes to Wagner High School, Wagner, Oklahoma. Um, you know, may sound familiar to anyone who's uh, watched uh, Hard Knocks or uh, Oklahoma State football. Malcolm Rodriguez, former Oklahoma State linebacker, uh, now plays for the Lions. He uh, also hails from Wagner, Oklahoma. But Shield Knight, three-star recruit, um, could probably be rated a little higher if he was playing at a bigger school or maybe in a different state. I know people um, kind of have that hang up sometimes. But this is a kid Arkansas offers, Texas A&M offers, some, some good schools, SEC programs that are in on this this guy. And um, again, local recruiting would be huge for Brent Venables to land a commitment from Shield Knight, about 6'3", 225 right now. Uh, from, from everything I know, he's a real technician on the defensive line. Does play some tight end in high school too. Will probably be an edge rusher in college. Um, and again, set to decide next Friday before Wagner's uh, season regular season finale. Right now, Wagner's undefeated. Um, they'll play Broken Bow in that game. Should be a fun matchup. But I, I would anticipate that that will go very well for the Sooners. Um, that commitment, I would imagine, uh, he ends up picking OU. Yeah, Shield Knight is fascinating to me. He's a, like you said, a three star. He it took him a while to get the offer. He's going to commit when uh, when when the time is right for him. But holy cow, this kid is incredibly talented yeah. and very versatile. Mm-hmm. Plays multiple positions, like you said. If you watch his highlights, he's out there split out as a as a kind of a slot receiver and, and end of line, not connected tight end. Yeah. Uh, but but you you mentioned edge rusher, probably edge rusher, right? Throw some more pounds on him, but he looks to me like Desan McCullough. Looks like a like a ideal cheetah linebacker who can drop into coverage, go get the quarterback, stuff the run at the line of scrimmage. He looks like he's got a lot of tools. And, and you know, we've seen that might be when he gets on campus, that might be something that Brent Venables and company take a look at, you know, when they see the athleticism, like you said, the versatility, that might be a spot where they start to think, well, this is a guy who could fill that cheater role for us. You know, you mentioned the size. He is kind of in that tweener area where he's right now similar to what Justin Harrington, Jaden Rowe weighs, about 6'3", 220, uh, maybe a little heavier than those guys. And again, once he gets to a college weight program, they can pack some more weight on. But I, I think you're right that his versatility could uh, lend itself to him playing some of that cheetah position, you know, really playing multiple positions to kind of get on the field earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned him rushing the passer. He is... Wagner's all-time leading sack leader achieved that a few weeks ago, which for a guy who's a junior is pretty impressive. And like we said, wow. Wagner's not just, you know, some small town program out in the middle of nowhere. They've produced NFL players, multiple NFL players. Um, and so, you know, to be able to do that, yeah, obviously he's got some skill. Yeah. Wagner's a unit uh, in high school football around here, man. They're scary good. Yes. Um, okay. Let's talk a little more Reggie Powers. He committed to Michigan State when Michigan State still had Mel Tucker. And Mel Tucker, I think, was coming off a really good season and was coming off that big $100 million contract or $95 million contract, whatever it was. So he's committing, or he had committed, I should say, to a program that was absolutely on the rise. I mean, by Joe went to Michigan State at this time, right? And, and Reggie Powers commits to them a year later, and it's like, oh, wow, what a great get for them. Now he's coming to Oklahoma. Kind of changes the dynamic a little bit of that uh, that defensive back room to me. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, 
with him probably being a safety, also Jaden Hard- Hardy probably playing safety at the next level. And those are two high four-star, uh, mid-four-star defensive backs that are big, long, lengthy, and rangy. I mean, and like I said earlier, Powers will come down and he will hit, guys. He loves to lay the wood. I mean, if you look at his uh, season statistics, he's got about 70 tackles in, I think, 10 games, which, uh, again, he's probably not playing all four quarters of each of those games, and he's playing safety. Usually your safeties aren't leading the team in tackles unless the team's not very good. His team is is very good. So obviously he's doing something right. Um, You know, his... Uh, pass breakup interception numbers aren't gaudy. You know, when you look at them, it doesn't catch your eye like, holy smokes, he's, you know, picking off every pass they throw his way. But if they're running the ball to his side, he's going to come down, he's going to lay a hit and run coverage. And that kind of is reminiscent of a guy like Michael Patterson McDonald, who from Westmore, not as big as Reggie Powers, uh, you know, Powers, I think is about 6'2". Uh, but but Michael Patterson McDonald kind of has some of the same um, mentality play style where he will come down and lay a hit in the run game he's not afraid of contact they don't shy away from stuff like that and uh, I think that that's something that Brent Venables Brandon Hall they really value in their safeties I mean we've seen that with the guys who are playing this year I mean Key Lawrence Reggie Pearson Billy Bowman those guys all of them are not afraid to run up and nail a guy in run defense or if he catches a short pass over the middle I think Reggie Powers fits that to a T what's Marcus James going to do He's a uh, he's from Carl Albert. He's got a decision coming tomorrow. He's going to announce tomorrow. But uh, what's he going to do ultimately? Because you see, one recruiting service says he's an athlete. Another one says he's a tight end. Another one says he's a linebacker. Kid's incredibly talented. Has amazing athletic ability. And when he hits you, you go backwards yeah. almost every time. So uh, what's Oklahoma want to do with him ultimately? And is is he going to do you think commit to OU tomorrow? So uh, you mentioned, you know, great athlete, very well-rounded. I mean, he can play, like you said, tight end. He can play off-ball linebacker. I mean, and that's, I mean, he starts at both sides of the ball for Carl Albert, which is one of the top teams in the state of Oklahoma, mm-hmm. um, probably the top team in Oklahoma outside of Bixby. Um, and, I mean, he caught the game-winning touchdown pass against Guthrie, which was an undefeated team whose defense has been outstanding all season. Um, I think he had two touchdowns in that game. Um, but... From what I understand, OU really likes him at linebacker. Um, this is a guy who six foot four, about 215, 220 right now. Um, and so obviously to play linebacker at the next level, he will need to put on some weight. But again, this is a guy who's only a junior in high school. He's easily capable of putting on that weight. And you see that he's plenty strong right now when you watch him play. I mean, I've got videos of him playing tight end for Carl Albert and just blocking the heck out of some dudes. I mean, he is physical. He's not afraid to mix it up with those guys. And uh, I mean, again, that's something that Brent Venables and and this defensive staff, they love. They want guys who are not afraid to go put their nose in the middle of the play. And from everything I've seen from Marcus James, uh, he's not afraid to go stick his nose in the play. Again, I think that his ranginess, his size, I think that really lends itself well to him playing linebacker uh, at the next level. Um, But again, you mentioned he's versatile. If linebacker doesn't work out, then um, that's he could always try tight end. Uh, I would assume he, he released his top five a few weeks ago, uh, Texas A&M, Arkansas, Utah, Oklahoma. Um, oh, geez, I'm blanking on one. Oh, TCU, I think is the fifth in that top five. Um, I would assume that uh, OU is the, well, not assume. I believe that OU is a big leader right there right now. Again, this is someone that they, uh, they were pretty early on. 
a local kid. They've done really well with recruiting Carl Albert already. Obviously, they've already got commitments from Kevin Sperry in that 2025 class, Xavier mm-hmm. Robinson in the 2024 class. OU's working on Trinae Washington, Tristan Hayes as we speak, I mean, every day. Um, and so I, I would expect that uh, tomorrow I'll be there at, at Carl Albert. So check out, check out on All Sooners tomorrow at around 7 o'clock. Um, but I, I would assume that, that Marcus James tomorrow night will be a Sooner. Um, and I think that when he gets to OU, his position will probably be linebacker. Okay. So just to clarify, he's a 2025. Yes. If he does play defense in that 2025 class, he would be the Sooners' second player committed right now in the 2025 class, along with Kamari Moore from Lee Summit North, defensive tackle. The rest of those dudes are uh, wide receivers and quarterbacks. Yes. So Sooners got some uh, – some. I don't know about work to do, but uh, they're – They've made some hay. Emmett Jones and those guys especially uh, have made some hay on the offensive side of the football. Um, if he plays tight end, that would probably really bolster the uh, receiver core. That would probably make his high school quarterback, Kevin Sperry, very happy, right, as well as maybe one more, one or possibly two of his teammates. Uh, but my, my guess is the same as yours. He's, he's probably going to play uh, linebacker, outside linebacker, possibly Cheetah. You get those – Big six three two twenty guys, and you it put is. them at cheetah, and you see what see what they can do, and yeah. you say, because if, if you can grasp what's going on at cheetah, right, what well, the 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 inner workings of the defense and what the offense is setting up, what they're trying to do, if you can do that, if you can mentally grasp that, then you you're like a quarterback. You've got a handle on just about every other position. Yeah, um, that's what Brent Venables expects from his cheetahs. And and I mean, you know. It may to, to people watching this, it may seem like, oh, we're just throwing every name out there for Cheetah. But if you remember, I mean, a lot of these guys, when they come to college, that's kind of the, the roadmap for them, especially if you're an athletic guy who's kind of a tweener. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Jaron Kanak committed to Oklahoma, a lot of people pegged him as a future Cheetah because he was a guy who was 6'3", who was really, really fast. I mean, 10'300 in high school. He hadn't he played, played Cheetah last year. Right. And, and so now he's kind of moved from that cheetah role to a more traditional inside linebacker role. Um, so there's nothing to say that when these guys get to college, they won't start out uh, trying to learn that cheetah position. Like you said, learn more of the defense. And if it doesn't succeed there, then guys like Michael Boganowski, guys like Alex Shield Knight, guys like Marcus James, they can all move to their original positions, which they played in high school. These are very versatile athletic guys. Yep. Yep. Good call. Um, Sooners could be getting, and we don't know when he's going to announce, but he dropped his top eight. Uh, was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. Cause I was driving home from Norman uh, from the Tuesday press conference. Uh, no surprise whatsoever, but certainly a step in the right direction for Oklahoma. Isaiah Mosey wide receiver out of Kansas city, his dad, of course, um, there at least summit North. Uh, is uh, Jamar Mosey, former Sooner running back. Isaiah has been leaning, I think we can say, to toward Oklahoma, but there's, the Sooners are going to have to close on him, I get, mm-hmm. I get the feeling, because Oregon is in there as well. Oregon is one of his top schools. He's got a top eight. He dropped his top eight yesterday, and I think Oregon is probably the number one competitor. It has been for the last few weeks or last few uh, maybe even months, going back to the preseason game they had here at uh, Union High School when I went out there and asked him about it. Um, Oregon's on that list. Oklahoma's on that list. He's got a decision to make, but Oklahoma's going to have to close on him. Yeah, I mean, 100%. This is a guy who 
um, you know, at, throughout the summer, I, I would probably have said that OU is the clear leader for Isaiah Mazzee. But now, um, you know, the way things sit in that 2025 class, you kind of have to wonder if things have changed yeah. there. And and like you said, they're not out of the race. It's definitely a battle between Oklahoma and Oregon from what I've seen right now. Um, you know, with three receivers already committed in 2025, yeah. that can that can help and it can hurt OU. I mean, it, if you angle it as, well, hey, we, we really want you in this class, but you're going to have to take your spot before someone else does, then you know, that might be a way that you, you, could, you can get him to commit earlier or that might push him away because, like we mentioned, you've got four-star wide receiver Grayson Harris who's been committed since April. You've got four-star wide receiver Jaden Nickens who's from Oklahoma City and committed to the Sooners this summer. You've got four-star wide receiver Elijah Thomas who's from Shakota, grew up an OU fan and committed to the Sooners this summer as well. I mean, yep. those, those are three guys that Kevin Sperry, I've seen it firsthand, those are three guys that Kevin Sperry has a great relationship with. And I would, especially right now, I think that those three guys are solid, that OU really likes those guys. Now, we've seen in the 2024 class, Emmett Jones, Brent Venables, OU, they don't mind taking a handful of receivers. I think they've got yep. six in 2024. So if Isaiah Mazzee does want to commit, they, he would be the fourth receiver in the class. I don't think OU would have any hangups with that, especially given the fact that he's top 10 receiver in the country, top 60, top 50 player in the country in the 2025 class. His dad, like you mentioned, Oklahoma legacy player. Um, he's a 2025 teammate with Kamori Moore, who we already mentioned, is committed to OU in the 2025 class. Um, as much as people probably don't want to hear it, his other teammate, Will Enwineri, uh considered the Sooners heavily, potentially still is heavily considering the Sooners. Uh, we're not really sure there yet. But again, there's a lot of relationships between Lee Summit North, between the Mazis with OU, yeah. and that's not going to go away. OU, like you said, they're going to have to close, but they're in a good spot now if if they can, can fend off Oregon, who Mazi visited Oregon over the summer. He visited OU over the summer. Uh, the same weekend that Kamori Moore committed, Isaiah Mazzee was on campus. Um, so, again, like you mentioned, OU is going to be in a, in a dogfight with with Oregon for this one. A lot of time left, but um, it, it seems right now like those are kind of the two two top dogs there. Yeah, uh, Jamar is his coach. Jamar is his dad. I, yeah. I think Jamar, I, I'm not trying to speak for him, but I think he would love for his son to go to OU where he went to school, right? He had a great experience there. Uh, I think he would love for his son to go there as well. Um, that's a part of it. I think the OU coaching staff would love because they coached Jamar and they want to keep that relationship alive with that pipeline to Lee Summit North. Great program. I think they want would, would I think they would enjoy having that legacy player come back to Oklahoma. He's a good, very good player. He's not yeah. just some schlub who's going to walk on, right? He's he's uh, hey, Dad, would it be okay if I went to OU because you played? That's not – this kid's legit. He's yeah. he's a very good player. Yeah. But does he want to go to OU or does he want to go to Oregon? Does OU want him or do they want one or two other four-star slash five-star type receivers? That's yeah. that's where it's going to come down to. Again, he dropped his top eight yesterday. Uh, we'll have to continue to follow that uh, as, it, as it unfolds. Have to put a call into Jamar and see what he's thinking, or at least ask him what Isaiah's thinking. Maybe that's the best way to say it. Two offensive linemen are still out there, Randall. Grant Bricks, Eddie Pierre-Louis. Uh, one visited two weeks ago for the game against UCF, Eddie Pierre-Louis from Florida. Uh, Grant Bricks is in Oklahoma this week. <laughs> he's visiting 
a, a college in Oklahoma this week. Is that right? That's uh, that's what we've been told in passing. Uh, we'll, we'll wait to see until Saturday if that remains the truth or not. Yeah. But a, um, a certain uh, blue and gold school in uh, northern Oklahoma, I hear, will get a visit <laughs> from uh, Grant Bricks this weekend. We'll see. We'll he's see. visiting PU. He's vi- apparently, reportedly, supposedly, he's visiting the Golden Hurricane. But there's a reason for that. Yeah, we've been told that he's got an old high school friend or a teammate or something that is either taking a visit or plays for TU, going out there to, to see him. Um, not even sure that TU's technically offered him yet. Uh, now, I'm sure I'm sure if he says, hey, I'm interested, that offer would come very quickly. But um, I don't think that Sooner fans necessarily have to worry about Tulsa in that recruitment. Um, the, now, I don't think it's a cut-and-dry case for OU. Um, it hasn't been this whole time. Uh, this has been something that it's kind of been an OU and Nebraska battle. I mean, we talked... I think last week or previously that he really values um, his family. He really values being close to home. He's a very low key person. So, I mean, he's got Alabama offers. He's got all the big schools in the country. I mean, this is one of the top 50 players, top three interior offensive linemen in the country. Everyone wants him. It's very low key. He's not going to be persuaded by, as Devon Jordan was put it, he's not going to be persuaded by the logo on the helmet. Um, This is someone that knows what he wants and he's just kind of deciding, um, I think from what I understand, I don't want to, again, I don't want to speak for him from what I understand kind of knows what's important to him and is deciding um, between two schools that can offer different things. Now, Nebraska is um, seemingly building in the right direction with Matt rule. And it's only about 90 miles from his hometown. Um, And from what I understand, the kid who's really low key, likes his family, wants to stay close to home being only 90 miles away. It's a huge plus. I mean, that's shorter than Oklahoma city to Dallas, right? Um, Norman's about seven hours. He's, he's in Logan, Iowa. Norman's about seven hours from Logan, Iowa. Now it's not the longest. It's not, I mean, we've seen kids come from Florida to go to OU from, you know, the Northeast to come to OU, but I mean, it's just a fact. Seven hours is a lot longer than 90 miles. Um, the relationships he has at OU with the coaching staff, with the strength staff, the offensive line coaches are very good. And that's, uh, what's keeping OU in it. Uh, the Bill Biedenboe track record, I think, is going to um, really help OU. But like we've seen, Nebraska is not pulling their foot off the gas. Uh, they know that they can see bricks within their grasp, and they rule and company does not want to lose a talented recruit right that, like that when they're in the mix for him. Uh, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people on Twitter saw they parked their huge 18-wheeler semi out in front of his high school. Um, I don't know Grant Bricks personally, so I don't know whether that's something that really moves him. Uh, personally, I mean... It's pretty cool, but I don't know in 2023 how much a big 18-wheeler is persuading uh, high school kids. Again, who knows? This is a kid from Logan, Iowa. Maybe it's different. I don't know. But um, point being, Nebraska's not taking their foot off the gas. They're pulling out all the stops. They're doing everything they can to get this guy in their class. Um, 2024 offensive lineman, I think it's going to come down to the wire. Uh, From what I've been told, he's going to take one last visit to Nebraska before he decides. Um, And so... um, Oh, you really just needs to maintain contact and and um, from everything I've heard, oh, you recently took the lead for him, and if they can do that after, if OU still seems to be in the lead after that visit to Nebraska, then I would think that um, that's when we know uh, what his final decision will be. But until then, it's a battle. So, if I were Grant Bricks, 
I don't know what I would do. Um, if you love the coaching staff at Oklahoma or you love the championship tradition at Alabama and you love being close to home so your parents and family can come and watch you play, what do you do? It's the age and era of the transfer portal, man. Make a decision. Stick with it. And if it doesn't work out, if you don't love it in Tuscaloosa or you don't love it in Norman, you've got the transfer portal send you right back home. You can play for Nebraska. You can play for Iowa. You know what I mean? I mean, you can, you can play anywhere you want. Um, it, again, in this age of the transfer, it instantaneous. Yep. If you hate it, you don't get along. The, the resources are not what you want or the re- relationships are not what you wanted. Portal that baby. It's a lot easier to make those decisions now, I would think, as a as a high level recruit than it used to be, simply for, because of the portal. And I would say that OU is probably using that same line of thinking to their advantage, saying, "Hey, just come to Norman, and if you don't, if it doesn't end up being what you like, you're not stuck here. But we think that if you do come here, you'll want to stay. Yeah, um, and if you I don't love it. You got to love it. If you don't love it, then do yep. something that you do love. Yep. Um, one last thing on him, a few weeks ago, probably a month, month and a half ago, he was wearing Nebraska gloves at one of his high school games. But as we've seen with multiple recruits in this cycle, yeah. that could mean absolutely nothing. So right. and we'll see. Let me just say this. Kevin Wilson has coached a lot of offensive line in his time. He's no dummy. He's a very smart coach. He, When he sees Grant Bricks on his campus, if that takes place this weekend, he's going to offer him. So. <laughs> Tulsa is in the has entered the conversation. Tulsa has entered the chat. Wouldn't uh, that be quite quite the story? That would be hilarious. Maybe <laughs> he gets there and he likes the academics. My daughter loved it there. Yeah, you and Tulsa he, advocate John Hoover. That's right. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, Eddie Pierre Louis, what do you think? His uh, he's got the, the coming off the visit from mm-hmm. two weeks ago. They didn't play their best, but this is one of those situations where. Bill Biedenboe pulls him aside after the game and says, did you see those guys play out there? That's not, that's why we need you right now. And and, easy recruiting pitch. Yeah. And and we mentioned (laughs) when we talked with Daniel Akinkumi, he told us after the Arkansas state game, Bill Biedenboe took him into his office. They watched the entire game. And Daniel said that he was surprised by how in depth and how rigorous uh, Biedenboe was with watching the film. Now, if Biedenboe was like that after a 73-0 victory, imagine what he was like watching the film with Eddie Pierre-Louis after a two-point victory against Central Florida. Right. Um, so if if Pierre-Louis is a guy who is um, attracted to that coaching style, then I'm sure that uh, that opportunity to watch the film kind of diagnose what went wrong, diagnose, like you said, hey, here's where you can help. Here's where your skill set would be perfect on our offensive line. This play right here works because you do these things well. Um, and so, like you mentioned, it's a great recruiting pitch, especially from a guy who can point to the that poster of all the Sooners in the NFL and say, I produced a lot of those guys. And the highest paid ones are all from my position group. Yeah. Um, and so Pierre-Louis, the interior offensive lineman, uh, considering UCF, considering OU, um, again, from Tampa. So it's always going to be hard to get a kid from Tampa, pull him away from his hometown. But like we've mentioned in past podcasts, OU's recruited Tampa really well recently. Uh, Will Griffin, who we talked about before the podcast, a quarter 2026 quarterback from Tampa, has been to Norman this year. Lewis Carter is a Tampa kid. Uh, there's a few other kids from Tampa that OU's been recruiting. I think that um, 
Brent Venables and the coaching staff's background in the Southeast coaching in the Southeast United States has really helped develop a relationship with the current coaching staff to that area. And I think that that's really helping the Sooners recruit there. Well, I think that um, Pierre Louise is probably leaning towards OU, which was not always the case, but it is a bit interesting that after that visit, we still haven't seen a commitment come. Maybe that comes a little bit down the line. Uh, maybe he's waiting till signing day. I don't know exactly the timetable, but I would assume that right now OU is in the driver's seat. Um, he'd be a big, big addition. Uh, him and Bricks are, you know, still still in the mix for right now. They've got four offensive linemen. So if they could add two of them, there'd be six in the class, which is plenty, you know, gives you plenty of depth. Even if you can only get one, having five guys in the class is still pretty good uh, depth for the future. Now, according to Will, what was his name from Tampa? Griffin. Griffin, yeah. Uh, according to 24-7 Sports, the only quarterback that they've offered in the 26 class remains Legend Bay, the uh, 5'11 speedster that probably would play another position, we yeah. think. Um, so uh, they're, you know, they, I guess that offer hasn't been made yet officially. Um, uh, when it yeah. does, we'll probably hear from Will Griffin on social media. Yes, I would assume so. And, you know, there's, there's a few other quarterbacks that OU's in the 2026 class that OU's had on campus this year. Connor Quintero from Stillwater, CJ Turnbull from Millwood in Oklahoma City. So they're doing their due diligence. They're bringing these guys in. Um, I would imagine that soon we start to see those 2026 QB offers roll out. Kind of surprised that we haven't yet. Yeah, me too. Um, So right now, OU is number six in the rivals team rankings. That's down a spot from number five last time we talked about it. Number seven in the 24-7 sports team rankings. That's down a spot. But... They're up to number nine in the on three team rankings, which is up a spot from last time they were number 10. So they're in that consensus top 10 area, top, you know, five to 10 area, six to 10, I guess, in this case. Uh, That's where it sits. And they have a chance to move up. And Randall, they have a chance to move up due to some hashtag OK preps that are out there. This recruiting weekend uh, belongs to Oklahoma State. It's their game. Uh, in the Bedlam game, they're going to use it as a as a recruiting oh, yeah. um, showcase. Hey, look what we can do, especially if they were to come out and win the game, right? Uh, they would host those guys. They would tell a lot of local kids, hey, don't worry about them. Don't worry about the SEC. If you're thinking about Oklahoma, look what we've got going on here at Oklahoma State and Stillwater. They're going to be able to recruit head-to-head in, in, a, in a handful of cases, I think, Randall. What do you think about uh, how this Bedlam game could play into that. I, I think that you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, especially under Brent Venables now, are recruiting a lot of the same kids. I mean, we've seen Brent Venables tap back into this local recruiting. I mean, all over the state of Oklahoma in his one of his first classes, you know, grabbing um, Eric McCarty from McAllister. Uh, you know, now they've gotten in on some OK Preps guys that they might not have previously been or that they are battling head-to-head with Oklahoma State. I mean, Devon Jordan was a guy who liked Oklahoma State a lot, ended up picking Oklahoma in the 2024 class. Um, there's some other guys out there. I think Alex Shieldknight, who, like we said, will commit next week. I think he's got an offer from Oklahoma State, so that might be one that the Sooners and the Pokes are battling on. But just in general, they're going to be – Oklahoma, Oklahoma State are always going to be fighting for a lot of the same in-state recruits. And this being the last bedlam, it kind of gives you uh, – give the winning program a nice little uh, – edge uh, for you know for the foreseeable future you know to be able to say hey like you said don't worry about that program the last time we played them we beat them you know do you want to come here and you know 
do you want to come to Oklahoma where we're going to the SEC or do you want to come to Oklahoma State where, you know, we're staying put, we're staying true to the state of Oklahoma, to the region, to the Big 12, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I think that obviously bragging rights are up for grabs every time these two programs play. It's big in the state of Oklahoma. But, I mean, recruiting, uh, having being able to have that edge and say, hey, even when OU was 7-1, and one, heading to the SEC, we knocked them down, knocked them off their high horse. Or, you know, Oklahoma State being able to, or Oklahoma being able to say, yeah, I mean, we dominated that rivalry for years and now we're on to bigger and better things in the SEC. You know, come play, come join the SEC, things like that. Um, obviously, the recruiting pitches will go both ways. But this final Bedlam matchup, final for the foreseeable future at least, will, I think, play a big impact on Sooner State recruiting. And we've mentioned the 2025 class in Oklahoma, the 2026 class in Oklahoma. They're really solid. They've got a lot of good players that both these teams are going to want. And I imagine that that trend will continue going down the road. I um, Let me ask you this. You'll break the tie. You going to miss the Bedlam rivalry or are you going to not miss the Bedlam rivalry? A hundred percent. I'm going to miss it. I, I, uh, I think Bedlam is, uh, is really fun. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, the, the fun in state, you know, obviously there's Oklahoma, Texas, which is a huge rivalry in itself, but I think the, 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 um, how close all these fans are, you know, you work with a bunch of Oklahoma state fans, probably, you probably won't work with a bunch of Texas fans. I think that adds a lot of fun to it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. When when Oklahoma goes to the SEC, um, OU fans are not going to have SEC fans in their neighborhood. Yep. You know, walking their dog and, hey, man, how'd you like the game Saturday? <laughs> you can't do that anymore right. when uh, you're not playing Oklahoma State. Yeah. I yeah. just, I love that. I love that part about uh, Bedlam. So you broke the tie. Ryan, sorry. <laughs> not missing the Bedlam game, being apathetic about the Bedlam game. Does not suit you, my man. Um, even for a native Oklahoman, a, a Norman kid who probably had to suffer through a couple of uh, humiliating uh, weeks of, uh, of bedlam off-season talk, <laughs> crash talk. Um, no, sorry. Bedlam series is uh, over after this week, and uh, we're going to miss you. Long live bedlam. <laughs> I got nothing else, Randall. You got any more recruiting updates, or shall we take this thing into the ether? Uh, I think I think that's it. Just keep it locked with all Sooners tomorrow night. Uh, to see what Marcus James does. Uh, around six thirty-seven, somewhere in that time range, we'll have all the info here. Good stuff, man. Thanks. Thank you, too. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. Don't forget the All Sooners post-game podcast Saturday night after the Bedlam game from the Press Box, so it's certified fresh. You can find all those shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or just about anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Media. For Ryan Chapman, Bedlam hater, and Randall Sweet, Bedlam lover. I'm John Hoover, Bedlam lover. We'll see you guys. 